Jesus was likely walking around hand in hand with some of his disciples, and it wasn't any romantic interest or anything that would be viewed as feminine. So we still need to be separating out what is masculine and feminine as far as the Bible is concerned. And we need to be separating that out from some of these cultural things too, because we want to make sure that we're following the Bible, not following whatever country happens to be in power or wherever we live and have that be magnified over what the Bible has for us. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. Hey guys, Jennifer Harvey here, and I'm joined by my very handsome husband, Brian Harvey. Hey, thanks guys for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed or rated us yet, we'd really appreciate you did that. That helps people find this podcast and helps us share uh, our message about um, thriving marriage with people. So if you could just take a moment before you set your phone down and um, hit that subscribe button, that'd be great. Um, and Jen, recently you were sharing with me a story of a client who was going through a divorce or had been divorced and she had this advisor or counselor kind of helping her through this oh, process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, this was an interesting one, Brian, because I had gotten a phone call um, from this lady a couple of years ago and she was being represented in a divorce case by somebody else and gave me a call and said, hey, I want to do estate planning and I want to make sure things are good to go for my kids. And I, I just told her, well, you know, let's get you on the other side of this divorce before I start estate planning because there are spousal rights and things that would be attaching to an estate plan if I were to have done that while she was still married, but in the process of the divorce. And it was a really interesting thing that just really broke my heart because her situation was she had been married for over 30 years, had adult kids, was uh, a church-going lady, very much loves Jesus. And you can just see evidence of that by the giving that she's done and continues to do and just her heart and expressing things. And the reason that she got divorced was because she was suffering through decades of verbal and emotional abuse wow. at the hands of her husband. And I think that the worst thing about it was she um, had an advocate come with her from a very well-known, respected Christian group who deals with situations like this. And the advocate went with her to speak with her senior pastor about all that she had been enduring mm -hmm. um, in her marriage from her husband. And he had a very flippant comment where he just said, well, we're complementarian. So, you know, that basically what was happening here with him shouting at her and belittling her and dismissing her and really denying her humanity, that that was somehow okay. And I'm just here to say that that's not okay. And that is not something that is built on the foundation of Christ at all. And that's such a misunderstanding of complementarianism. Um, Jen and I theologically are complementarian. You know, we actually were talking to a church about possibly doing an Operation Thriving Marriage experience at their church, and he read our chapter on gender roles mm -hmm. and thought, well, we weren't complementarian. We weren't good enough for his church because even he was misunderstanding what complementarianism is. Complementarian and egalitarianism are two theological constructs that people look at the Bible and see. 
Can and you so, define that out a little bit? So yeah, so complementarianism is the idea, very simplistically, because I'm going to expand on this more later, that men and women are different and that they are designed to complement each other. And part of that in traditional complementarianism, that one of the positions, one of the differences is that men are, have headship in the household. Yeah, don't, don't hang up on the podcast yet. Keep listening. Hang with us, guys. And egalitarianism says there are still men and women. There's some people out there that will say egalitarianism says there's no difference between men and women. That's a very extreme form. And if, if you're interested in more theology, go to the website and hopperishthrivingmarriage.com and send us a message and we can do something on theology. But basically, egalitarianism says that men and women are completely equal and there's no biblically defined position and that they can each, they're basically the same puzzle piece can fit in everywhere. There's no real differences other than the biological differences in man and woman. And many conservative churches, uh, many evangelical churches will hold to some sort of complementarian theology. The problem is when we misunderstand what complementarianism is, then we have problems like your client was having where the it's okay for the man to be abusive which which is so against scripture and everything that Jesus would have for us a, as human beings and would have for us as a married couple because Jesus came so that we may all have life and have it to the fullest but if you're allowing cultural things to come in to God's purpose for marriage and God's construct of marriage, it can really be warped and twisted in bad ways, in ways that God never intended that was never spelled out in the Bible. So we've got to do the best we can do to look at scripture and apply scripture as opposed to applying our culture and trying to make scripture fit into that. And that's tough. And we've got to be honest with that. We've got to look at that because we our culture is a lens through which we read scripture. Um, but what we need to do is go to scripture and we need to allow scripture to change that lens. And then over time, as we keep coming back to scripture, it'll get us closer to the reality. But this complementarianism, we've seen things happen. We recently doing an Operation Thriving Marriage experience at a church. And one of the questions was about uh, when Paul says in Corinthians about your body is not your own. Well, let, let's just be let's just be brutally honest. Throughout the history of the church, there have been bad things that have happened, mm -hmm. and there has been a case for a while where the idea was that a woman was required to give herself physically to her husband whenever he wanted it, and that's just the way it is. And that's not never been what God intended. And when you look at that passage, it says that the two are supposed to be giving of each other out of love. Mutually. Mutual love. And it talks about agreeing for a time to be separate and agreeing to come back together sexually. And that time separate was for prayer and fasting. But it was never, thou shalt do whatever I want. Because you notice that there's not many times that I can think of. I can't think of any times where it's like, oh, men, you have to give up your body for your wife. That's not how it works. Consent is still consent. Mm -hmm. And if, you're, if your wife isn't, doesn't want to right now and she says no, no means no. 
Now, there are times where you want to, out of love, when you're not in the mood, give yourself to your spouse because you love them, but you're not, it's not something that you are in the mood for, but that's still consent. You're still choosing to say yes out of love. And it's that, and again, it's that kind of mutuality where, you know, sometimes guys don't want to have sex, but they would anyway. Rarely, but. But here we are. And then same kind of thing for women, but it's a, it's a consent thing. It's, it's not being forced to um, one spouse or the other. And, and that's huge. And I know in American jurisprudence, it was the law for some time that there couldn't be any kind of a marital rape. But we know that that has happened in the past, has happened in more recent times. But luckily, the law has kind of caught up to that and kind of figured that out. I imagine the the law finally caught up with the Bible again. uh, Can I tell you about that? Right. But I will say and I caution people about this all the time, because more and more what I'm hearing is people are trying to get a high using drugs like Ambien and it spaces them out so that they might not be able to consent to having sex, but they might be taking pills so that they can be on a high when they would have sex. So I'd say stay away from those kinds of drugs. But I know, Brian, you had talked about the Air Force about consent, and that's a really big deal there. Absolutely. I mean, we, we talk about consent a lot because it's important to be very clear. There, there has to be a yes anytime. So, But that's one of the misinterpretations of scripture from a bad view of complementarianism. Yes. And it's just one example. But another thing that we deal with is societal inequities, where when you look through scripture, you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, she worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. She bought a field with her own money. There's things, but we there's been these societal inequities that developed and cultures that have developed. And at the time of recording this, a report just came out from the Southern Baptist Convention And full disclosure, my ordination is through the Southern Baptist Convention, so I'm not trying to rip the denomination. However, there are bad things that have happened to the denomination, and it's finally coming to light. And hopefully, the denomination can correct these things. But there were abuses. And when you read these articles about it, it's not just that pastors were taking advantage of women in their churches. It was there was a cover-up happening so that the churches and the denomination would be protected. And it comes down from a culture of thinking that male headship and male dominance is such a thing, and headship and dominance are different, Mm -hmm. right? Headship and lordship are different. And this radically masculine culture led, came out of a false understanding of what complementarianism truly is. Which is just horrible. And and for me, I'm confessing here that that hit me in a really hard way because many of us remember that scandal of abuse in the Catholic Church 20 years ago um, where priests were raping little boys for a long time and the priests were being moved around. I grew up Catholic, so seeing that and seeing that abuse and now seeing this come out of the SBC it's really broken my heart. And I had said 20 years ago, the reason Protestants aren't commenting on this Catholic sex abuse scandal is because unfortunately that's going on in Protestant churches too. And this is something I'm just putting a call out there that we all need to repent of any discrimination, any abuse that's happening at the the hands of our our church leaders and in our church as a whole, that we would not perpetuate a culture of any kind of abuse. So to correct this, we need to understand what 
biblical complementarianism truly is. Mm -hmm. um, and it really comes down to first, we need to understand that men and women are created equal, but different. Mm -hmm. And so in Genesis, it says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And when you look at Genesis 2, you look at the story, Adam was there first, and God was giving an illustration to Adam about why he needed a compliment. He needed, the word is easer, translated as helper, most commonly used in the Bible to describe God as our easer, our great helper, um, our great help in trials and tribulations. That easer, so this whole story of God showing Adam, hey, you need this compliment. You yes. need this person, this other creation designed for you to be, to be able to accomplish your responsibility of reigning and representing me on this planet. And so Adam sees all these animals and names them all. And God didn't tell Adam to name the, the animals because God ran out of creative ideas. It was teaching Adam something is missing. It's a good responsibility to have. Absolutely. And then what's Adam's response when he sees the woman? This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, Isha, out of, so it was coming out of man. You know, she will be called woman because she came out of me. So literally, this, literally, you know, this bone. And so there's this connection immediately. And then in the first a marriage, when they get married and God says the two become one, it's this complement. So complementarianism is men and women are created uniquely by God. Men have masculine characteristics. Women have feminine characteristics and that they complement each other and they work together to fulfill humanity's purpose of being the royal priests ruling and representing God on earth. And the idea, too, of just different periods of history, different cultures. You know, some people might say that, you know, in, in Western culture, we don't see men holding hands and walking together. That would be really odd in the United States. But that's a very typical thing that happens in the Middle East right now. And as a matter of fact, culturally, Jesus was likely walking around hand in hand with some of his disciples, and it wasn't any romantic interest or anything that would be viewed as feminine. So we still need to be separating out what is masculine and feminine as far as the Bible is concerned, and we need to be separating that out from some of these cultural things too, because we want to make sure that we're following the Bible, not following whatever country happens to be in power or wherever we live and have that be magnified over what the Bible has for us. Absolutely. And so then when we get into that, then we look at in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, it's this long passage. And this is where the um, male headship is explained most clearly. Mm -hmm. You see it many other places in scripture. You know, you see that um, God called Abraham, not Sarah. You know, you see that while Mary is very important, was chosen to be the, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, and is important. I mean, that's Jesus' mama. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't mess with mama. It's the father and the son, you know. And yes. it's important to remember also throughout Scripture that there are many places where God refers to himself as a mother. 
validating the feminine role in his church and in his um in his world and jesus even says he wishes that he was like a hen gathering chicks under her wings not the rooster the hen so again it's not invalidating women but there is this idea that in the household the husband is the one who has the responsibility of leadership but leadership and lordship are two different things Mm -hmm. yeah so lordship i mean is very over it's like i do not lord over jen anything ever but when it comes down to when we have to make a decision and it's a at some point someone has to make the decision and if we can't come to a consensus like i don't know i don't know i don't know at some point we can go paralysis by analysis someone has to be the one that says okay this is what we're going to do and someone has to agree okay i might have gone a different way but this is the direction we're going to go and this is how we're going to press through and every team has to have a team captain that that's exactly right yeah and and brian you're a great captain well thank you and and, and that's that's something where i i think sometimes people would look at us and say, oh my goodness, we've got Brian, who's a senior master sergeant in, in, in the Michigan Air National Guard. You got Jen, who's a lawyer. I know Chris Ayotte from WMUZ was teasing us when we've been on the air with him saying, oh my goodness, you go home and is this some knockdown drag out? Is this some fight for power or, or control? And that's absolutely not the case. That's something where we respect each other in these roles that we have. And I'm very comfortable with you exercising that headship or leadership in our family structure. And I want you to, because you do a great job with that. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less. We're, could anybody say that one blade of scissors is any more important than the other? It's just this kind of leadership role that, that you'd be taking on. And um, as you were ta- kind of talking about with the uh, team captain, you know, if, if we were to say for a hockey team, you've got Jesus, who is going to be our coach and general manager, right? Jesus is always in charge. No matter what, guys, Jesus is in charge. (laughs) Right. And that's another thing too, people, because I, I really feel like if you've got a man who is very angry and saying, I'm the king of my castle, it's like, buddy, that's your problem. You know, Jesus has to be the king. Jesus has to be the the Lord of your life and the Lord of your household. But then you need to step into that team captain role. And can I just tell you how I feel destructive some churches can be towards their men? Because I feel like churches in an unhealthy way, if they're taking this approach, can say, you've got all this on you as the leader of the household and the the husband feels very burdened where it's he's over his wife and his kids as if the wife and kids were equal and he's there all by himself no kidding he's struggling no kidding he's angry and having problems but that's not how god designed it god designed his wife to be his helper and leadership isn't like lordship it's servant leadership I mean, what, who did Jesus lord over? I mean, Jesus shows up as a baby. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, that is the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity that has eternally existed. And when he shows up, people get down on their faces and he's constantly saying, do not be afraid. 
because guess what that that were initial reaction was? What did Gideon do? Terrifying. You know, this this is terrifying. So he chose to come and to serve. He gave us the example, men. He gave us the example of what leadership is by coming and serving and dying. And washing feet. Washing feet, going to the least, the weakest, and caring for them. And so leadership is, okay, I've got to make the decision. And that's, that's my responsibility. I've got to care for and make sure that my family is being cared for. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the one making every decision on your own. It doesn't mean you have to be the primary breadwinner. We are a very non-traditional complementarian couple because Jen makes more money than me. Lawyers tend to make more money than military members or pastors. Just saying. You know, Jen makes more. And Jen is very good at managing finances. I am not. I don't enjoy it. It's just another math problem. And I didn't want to do math in school. Why would I want to do it for the rest of my life? Welcome to my world, people. But it, but it's okay because that's what Brian and I and having the conversations all throughout our marriage. It was just like, hey, you know, it makes more sense for Jen to carry on down this career path and be pursuing this and for Brian to continue down his career path and pursuing that, I would never lord it over him about how much I'm making or how much he's making because it's all going into the same account. It's all for the betterment of the marriage and the family. Just like a man should not lord if he's making more over his wife or vice versa because we, we are that team. And we've talked many times and I made the decision to, okay, Jen, you're better at this. You are comfortable with it. So you're going to make sure the bills are paid and do that. And I know that that's a burden on you sometimes when you're looking at these bills and looking at, and we have to have conversations sometimes about moving money around um, from savings and checking to do those things. And we work that out together. But the day-to-day making sure the mortgage is paid, delegation doesn't mean necessarily to a subordinate. You know, it means, hey, the team captain doesn't tell the goalie how to be the goalie on the hockey team, if we're going to continue that analogy. Sure. You know, Steve Eisman, the greatest hockey captain ever, just saying. Love um, you, Stevie. <laughs> didn't tell Chris Osgood, Dominic Hoshik, um, any of those guys, hey, here's how you here's how you goalie. Yeah, he trusted him. Hey, you keep the puck out of the net, and I'll work with the other guys to put the puck in the net on the other side. We all have responsibilities, and so that's what we talk about in our book is gender roles are change at times. And so so is it gender roles or just our roles? I'm not the primary breadwinner in our household. Jen is. In the 50s, it was the man of the house going out and working, and that was because of the culture of the time and the ability of women to work. You go around the world, different ways of handling households, different ways of who cooks the food. I do probably about 80, 80% of the cooking in our house because... And it's great. Oh my goodness. Food Network. Brian, <laughs> you, you've just become this amazing foodie and, uh, and, and chef. And it's all watching Bobby Flay and just trying to emulate him. But anyway, um, we do these things and it's not I'm less masculine because Jen is the one making more money. And so we learn to complement each other and I lead our family and one of the things, Jen, I really love the way you put this when I was a youth pastor. You were talking to the girls and share with them 
how you communicated for young women in a complementarian view looking for a potential spouse. Oh, absolutely. And and I say this to to young women, older women who are 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 looking for a spouse. I I maybe you're collecting resumes or having auditions or something. But um That's yeah, a tough I, audition. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um but I I think that what you need to do is you need to find the right kind of guy who you are able to say, I submit to this individual, which means I'm going to get out of their way so I can treat that so that they can treat me like the princess that I am. And I think it's about us as spouses acknowledging each other in Genesis, created male and female differently, but equally precious in the sight of God. Brian is the son of the king. I am the daughter of the king. But what what does it look like, guys, if you end up marrying the boss's daughter? How are you going to treat her? You know, if, if we're talking about Jesus as king as well as he should be, how are you going to be treating her? And wives, how are you going to be treating your husbands in light of that thing? What I love, too, is the, the mention of Sarah and Abraham. Sarah would have said to Abraham, my Lord, it stops there. But then I believe that Abraham would have continued and said to her, my lady. Absolutely. It's, again, a thriving marriage is a team marriage. Teams need to have a captain. And we do believe that complementarianism is the clearest description of how the Bible lays out the family. Because we're not, we're not ignoring that, that headship um, provision that's in the Bible. And we don't want to be disingenuous uh, to what the Bible says and what the Bible has for us, because we know that God is giving us all we need in Scripture, and to deny that would be problematic. And when we follow that, when we follow that pattern that God has given us, that is the way we're able to build a team marriage, build a strong team, and build a thriving marriage. Jen and I started Operation Thriving Marriage to help couples and churches take marriages from merely surviving to thriving. We've got our book, we've got a blog and resources for our coaching ministry, and you can bring us out for an Operation Thriving Marriage experience. For more information, go to OperationThrivingMarriage.com. That's OperationThrivingMarriage.com.